And so this is big news. Province's Special Investigations Unit is planning to expand data it collects to include race, ethnicity, religion, and indigenous identity of complainants and officers who are the subject of investigations. Um, In the past, they only collected and maintained data on the age and gender of people who were involved in their investigations. It's uh, an important historic step, some people say. Scott Wortley is a longtime researcher on the impact of race-based data and a professor at the University of Toronto's Centre for Criminology and Socio-Legal Studies. He joins the show right now. Scott, welcome to the program. Good morning. Why is this an important important and historic step forward for the uh, SIU? Well, you know, the issue of, of, of racial bias with respect to policing and police use of force in particular um, is longstanding in the Canadian context. You know, uh, I started researching this 25 years ago as a graduate student with the Commission on Systemic Racism in the Ontario Criminal Justice System. And at that time, there were, uh, you know, much like today, demonstrations um, being held uh, um, around some particular uh, incidents, some police shootings involving young black men and allegations of racial bias. And at that time, when we went to try to, you know, investigate and to actually look at the numbers, what the statistics told us, there was absolutely nothing available um, and collected and released by uh, police institutions or civilian accountability uh, um, organizations. So um, this is a big step forward. Um, One of the big recommendations uh, coming out of that commission 25 years ago was for the collection of race-based data throughout the criminal justice system. 25 years later, we're finally seeing, um, you know, initiatives that are starting to recognize that. Did the authorities give you any reason why they don't collect? They didn't collect any data back then? What was their reasoning? Because presumably you would have, you know, uh, interviewed a bunch of them. Yeah, there's surprisingly uh, um, quiet on um, these issues. Uh, You know, there's formal and informal bans. You know, what we would hear regularly was that, you know, the collection of race-based data um, could hurt those minority groups that were shown to be overrepresented in crime statistics so that, you know, it could, you know, lead to justifications for further stereotyping and discrimination. Um, Mm -hmm. I do think that there's, you know, a counter-argument to that. Um, The the, um, images, racialized images of crime appear in uh, the media on a regular basis. You know, we don't... Uh, ban mugshot photos, and that's where people get their information about crime. They get it from the news media. They don't get it from reading you know, academic papers published in uh, sociology and criminology journals. Um, there's also been a sea change, I think, in the public's, uh, uh, the minority public's view of the collection uh, of these statistics. You know, back in the, the late 90s, there was vocal opposition to that collection. Now that position has uh, uh, turned 180 degrees, where most major racial minority organizations are calling for this data. I think at the same time, many police organizations were kind of uncomfortable with what the data might show, the disparities they might show, and how do you explain those disparities? Was the fear that uh, from the community that they would be misrepresented through the data that was being collected back then? Um, Yes. uh, uh, I think initially, um, at that time, I think there was a, a, a fear that there would be misrepresentation or it would be used to inflame racial tensions. Um, you know, my feeling and observation of, uh, of the community right now is that there's a recognition that those stereotypes uh, and feelings already exist in society and the data is not going to make it uh, um, worse. In fact, it may make it better. Some surveys we've shown 
um, is that the public's perception of the relationship between race and crime is much stronger in Canada than the data actually demonstrate. You conducted a data analysis for a 2018 report on race and policing from the Ontario Human Rights Commission. Can you focus on some of the major findings back in 2018? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it, it covered data from 2000 to 2006 that we collected by looking at SIU um, files uh, and uh, investigations and data from 2013 to 2017. Um, basically, and what the data shows is that uh, um, there's a huge overrepresentation of, uh, of black individuals um, in uh, police use of force cases um, in, in the city of Toronto. Province-wide, there's a huge overrepresentation of the people of Indigenous background, um, and that these disparities cannot be totally uh, explained by um, issues related to to crime or civilian behavior during these encounters. So, you know, it's one thing to measure uh, a race, but we've also got to measure a lot of the other contextual val- uh, variables that exist in police use of force incidents. What was the behavior of the civilian? Was there a weapon present? What that weapon was, um, age, gender, time, uh, uh, you know, and many other variables that, that come into play. So, you know, one of the things that I'm hoping the SIU data initiative uh, entails is collecting all those important pieces of information along with the democratic, democratic, uh, sorry, demographic characteristics of the civilians involved and officers involved. Just to clear this up, I know that the Toronto Police Services Board approved a policy last mm-hmm. September that that directed officers to start tracking and reporting races of people involved in certain encounters with the police. Mm-hmm. Uh, that certain encounters is a, a question mark. Like what encounters? And B, could this also be a way to slowly um, move towards carding again? Um, there's a difference between, uh, um, you know, carding and uh, measuring, for instance, data on uh, traffic stops or uh, pedestrian stops. Um, one of the issues with carding is that this was, uh, you know, the individual's personal information was retained in an intelligence data set um, that could be called up by officers, for instance, on the street if they encountered the individual um, again. You can measure this stati- uh, these statistics um, without identifying the, uh, um, the individual involved. So you can collect statistics, much like they have in Ottawa, on traffic stops um, and look at the racial disparities in traffic stops without having to uh, um, identify the specific individual involved in a way that could uh, hurt them in subsequent um, encounters with the police. So there's a big difference between uh, um, how carding was conducted and how that data was used. Um, You know, after all, it was not intended for public consumption. These that data was only exposed through uh, freedom of information requests. Um, the police never intended it to be uh, distributed to the, the broader public. Um, there, now, yeah. the Toronto Police Initiative is, is important um, and uh, a big step forward uh, from what we've seen in previous decades. Um, I do believe it's very narrow right now. I think the pilot projects are focusing on police use of force and I believe strip searches. Um, they have not extended that to, uh, you know, other more common uh, police-civilian interactions as of yet. I've heard a lot of people uh, talking about, in the States at least, dismantling police forces. And that's, uh, you know, some uh, a lot of people here calling for defunding of police forces. Do we have to reinvent the wheel in order to improve our police forces? Or is there middle ground? Is there any one 
force that you can point to that's actually getting this right? Um, I do think that, you know, uh, the, the conversations uh, around uh, disbanding police services and uh, defunding police services um, have kind of become overly simplistic. Um, there's been some police services in, in, in the U.S. that have been disbanded for, you know, for instance, Camden, New Jersey, because of widespread corruption. And, you know, the, the, the idea was that these services were uh, uh, so corrupt that we needed to, um, you know, disband them and reform them. You know, there still is policing in Camden, New Jersey. They didn't eliminate policing. They just disbanded the current police service and established a, a new service using a different model. Um, I am not aware at this time of any major police service in Canada that would kind of, uh, you know, meet the disbanding standard. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think that that would, you know, require further investigation. Um, but police reform um, is very much important, and it has been um, resisted in, in many ways. Defunding doesn't mean abolishing the police. Defunding means. Uh, um, you know, our police budgets, have they become bloated? Is there ways to find efficiencies? Is there ways to improve public safety um, and reduce crime um, that involve community development initiatives that the police are, uh, cannot be uh, implicated in? Um, so I think that's what a, a healthy conversation um, with respect to public safety. Um, and I think it's a debate that we, that, that we will have for some time right now. Um, even if police funding levels were kept um, at the same level, however, we've got to ask the questions, you know, what are the police doing right and how can policing be improved? We do know that particularly in minority communities, confidence and trust is low. What can we do to increase confidence and trust and monitor that change? I mean, one of the benefits with the collection of race-based data is that we can actually start to evaluate the anti-bias uh, um, reforms that we initiate. In the past, mm-hmm. we haven't done that. We've implemented training. Does training make a difference? Um, and you know, really, the answer is uh, we have no idea. 